I'm not lying. I was like stressed. It was like, oh my gosh, I got to run over there, get my mic on. And I was like, oh, it's not working. It's not working. So thank you for having grace. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Victor. I'm one of the staff members here. And I, can, I, can I just say I'm so excited that you decided to join us. Blurring through, walking through the freezing cold. I tell you, when I got up this morning, I was like, why do I live here? This, this place is terrible. Why am I here? No, but God is good. So if you're new here, I just again want to say thank you for taking time out of your Tuesday um, and coming here. If I haven't gotten the chance to meet you, I would love to meet you. So tonight we're going to continue in our series, Formed, and continue to see how to be developed and be spiritually formed and look less like the world and more into the image of Jesus. Last week we got the opportunity to hear from Pastor Derek and how we as followers of Jesus must be washed from the inside, not just the outside, meaning our inner lives must match our outer lives. Our text for tonight is going to come from the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Old Testament. So if you open it up, it's like probably like 50 pages in. So to give some background to the text, the people of Israel, or God's chosen people, had been enslaved for Egypt in, for several hundred years. And God uses this guy named Moses to lead them out of Egypt and into a new land. So Moses gets the people out of the oppressive rule of Pharaoh, and they arrive at this place called Mount Sinai. And it's at this mountain in which God essentially establishes his covenant, his relationship, and what it means for them to be together. In our specific section, we're right in the middle of God giving out the Ten Commandments, which I'm sure most of you have heard if you've gone through a church um, early, like Sunday school or things like that. So these are just kind of the ten most important rules or principles that God gives to the people. So again, it's Exodus 20, verses 5 through 6. It'll be on the screen if you need to look. And it says this, You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's pray. Jesus, we know that you're here. Jesus, we believe that you want to do something powerful. So I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts. God, would truths be revealed, God? Would the things that are deep within us be revealed, God? And would you start to heal us from the inside out? Would you continue to form us and make us more into you? We pray all this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. So I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard of this show called Regular Show. <laughs> it's all the guys are like yeah and all the girls are like what it's a really silly kids cartoon but it's one of my favorite shows and I, even to this day like literally at lunch I was watching an episode it's fantastic if you haven't seen it highly recommend 10 out of 10 but essentially what it does is it follows these two characters Mordecai and Rigby who work at a local park and random situations. Like, I mean, it's really weird stuff, but it's hilarious. So they're terrible workers who slack off or try to find out, like, shortcuts to do their jobs, and this often leads them to get into trouble. This also means that they're constantly getting yelled at by their boss, Benson. So in the episode entitled Think Positively, Benson gets told by his boss, Pops, that he can no longer yell at Mordecai and Rigby or else he's going to fire him. And in Pop's word, he says, there's never a reason to yell. So throughout the episode, Mordecai and Rigby are starting to really test Benson's patience. Like there's a scene where like they cover themselves in paint and they run into the wall saying, hey, look, we found a new way to paint. 
and they slam so hard into the wall that it actually breaks. So Benson is like starting to get more and more and more angry because like he like wants to yell and they're used to that happening. So he can't. So they take it as a sign of like, ah, oh, well, we can just keep doing whatever we want. So he starts to get more and more and more upset. And eventually he turns to this anger management like package and it's like $60 and it comes with a little audio tape. So he like opens it up, gets his audio player, slams the tape in and starts listening to it. And as he's listening to it, the speaker says, the key to managing your anger is control. For example, one should never yell, even if it's to pass the salt. And in that moment, it's like it zooms into Benson's eyes, and then we're transported into this like flashback. And in the memory, we see a young, shy, timid Benson, and he's quietly sitting at the table. So he's sitting across from his family, and they're like, it just like it's going on every person, and all they're doing is just yelling at each other. Like they're arguing, they're going back and forth, and just screaming. And in the middle of that, Benson tries to ask them to pass the salt, like really quietly. He's like, can, can someone please pass the salt? And then his dad says, quiet, quiet, everybody stop. What did you say? And he makes him ask again. And Benson, again, the same thing, says, could, could you please pass? And then his dad said, stop. Look here, son. If you never, you're never going to get anything in this life without yelling. If you don't yell for it, you're never going to get it. So Benson thinks about it. And then he gets up from his chair and he says, pass the salt. And his dad says, boy," and passes the salt. Have you ever really, 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 like really sat down and thought about why you are the way that you are? And I'm not just talking about like why you like cheeseburgers or why you like the Packers. No, no, no. I'm talking to the inner core of who you are. Have you ever just sat down and said, why do I do the things that I do? Why do I think this way? Asking questions such as, why am I so afraid of conflict or confrontation? Why do I feel so much anxiety about school and grades? Why do I feel the need to prove myself to other people? Why do I care so much about what other people think about me? To go beyond yourself, to think of a much bigger picture, have you ever reflected on your family as a whole? Have you ever reflected on why your family has never had a conversation that goes beyond, hey, how was your day? How was work? How was school? Have you noticed how everyone, including yourself, tends to always just yell and bicker instead of sitting down and having a normal conversation? Have you thought about it? Or maybe, to get real, have you ever wondered why divorce and remarriage is so common in your family? Maybe you're in this place and you find yourself spiritually and emotionally stuck. You've been trying to follow Jesus and yet you can't break through this wall. Like you're doing all of the things, going to small group, reading your Bible, spending time with your community, and it seems like you're stuck somewhere. You're still insecure, you're still anxious, you're unable to break from this addiction. Why? Maybe you're in here and you don't follow Jesus at all. Maybe Jesus is something new to you. But yet, you still struggle with having good conflict, communicating well, finding yourself bitter and angry at the world, and you don't know why. The truth is 
There are things that we have learned as children at a very young age that have since stuck with us, and they are now a part of who we are. There are parts of us that we are completely unaware of, that we don't even think about, and yet they're impacting every single day what you do and how you interact with people. The problem is that if we fail to see the shadow side, we are just simply treating the symptoms and not dealing with the cause. We're just dealing with what we can see instead of actually going within us and to find a solution. Benson, going back to our story, was deeply formed from a single moment. That one moment in his childhood changed the course and direction of his life. And ever since that moment, he thought, to gain anything, if I want to get my point across, I have to yell. That's the only way that people will understand me. He was completely blind. He needed to go back to see the bigger picture. If we as Jesus followers or people who are just starting to follow Jesus, want to find emotional healing and spiritual breakthrough, we must go backwards to go forward. We must go backwards to go forward. So what does scripture say about this? So let's go back into the text. I know it was a little weird. And if you're, it can be easy to be put off by the intensity and maybe feel a little uncomfortable about what we but, what we just read, but it's a lot simpler than it seems. So we revisit the first half of the text, which says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So what exactly is God trying to say in this text? Is he saying that I'm going to have to suffer for what my parents did, even though it wasn't my fault, even though I had no control of their actions? Well, no, and yes. So the text isn't saying that if your parents or your guardians or whoever watched over you have sinned or did something bad, that doesn't mean that you're going to be held responsible for that. For example, if your parents stole something, God is not going to point to you and say, hey, you are responsible, you're going to pay for that. We know this because later on, we read in Ezekiel 18.20, the one who sins is the one who will die. The child will not share the guilt of the parent nor will the parent share the guilt of the child. The righteousness of the righteous will be credited to them, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against them. So what exactly is the text saying? Pete Zero in his book, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, says this. An Old Testament scholar once shared with me that the best translation of the Hebrew word punishing used in this passage is tends to be repeated. In other words, what happens in one generation repeats itself in the next. In other words, what happens in one generation tends to repeat itself in the next. So even though you might not be held directly liable for the sins of of those who came before you, you are still impacted one way or another. This can look like direct consequences or inherited patterns of behavior or thinking. So again, if we go back to that example of stealing, let's say your mom or dad, whoever steals, gets caught and gets sent to jail. That may lead to a lot of problems in and of itself. A parent being incarcerated leads to a lot of emotional and mental damage. On the other side, the the child will continue to grow up thinking that if I want something in my life, I can just steal it. That is what I have learned in the ages of whatever it is when when it happened. They begin to understand that's how the world works. Either way, on whatever side it is, there is an impact that can last generations. And this principle is not just one thing that we read about. It's not something that's been known up to today. It's been through Scripture. 
If we look back as early as the book of Genesis, we read the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a grandfather, a father, and a son. In their story, all three characters lied at some point to save themselves or to gain something. All three had multiple spouses and concubines, which often caused tension and problems in their journeys. And all three had issues with their siblings and they fought against each other or were even completely separated from each other. If we even move further in the story of David, Solomon, and Rehoboam, all three characters, again, had multiple wives, concubines, and struggled with some form of sexual sin. All three had this season which they turned their backs to God and turned to sin, which included rebellion, murder, and turning to other gods. And in the book of Kings, which is even further along in the Bible, we see a historical account of several kings and their rule from ancient Israel. Can you guess how many out of the 22 kings described, how many of those are described as good or, or faithful? Zero. And do you know what phrase was often repeated when comparing them? And he walked in, the, in all the sins that his father did before him. He walked in the sins of all that his father did before him. So if we sum all of this up, I know that was a lot of information in applicable terms and what this means for us is that we are not simply lone individuals. You are not just a separate identity that was born out of nowhere. You and I are who we are because of who our parents were and are. You and I are who we are because of who our parents were and are. The way that your parents handled conflict, how they related to and treated others, the health of their marriage, your race, your ethnicity, abuse, trauma, conversations about difficult topics such as feelings and sex, finances, and so much more have deeply impacted you. The problem that we face more often than not is we either ignore the past by minimizing or shrugging off the unhealthy and biblical patterns in our lives, or we bury it refusing to deal with the trauma or the pain. For example, if your parents expressed their emotions or what they were thinking by constantly criticizing everyone and everything, including yourself, odds are you probably hold that same view that it's okay to criticize, all the while more having probably poor self-esteem. Another common thing that is often passed from generation to generation is divorce. Studies have shown, and you can find all sorts of studies, say that children whose parents were divorced have a higher chance of getting divorced themselves over those who had uh, parents with healthy marriage. Nicholas uh, Wolfinger, a sociologist at the University of Utah, says this. One theory is that many children of divorce don't learn important lessons about commitment. All couples fight. If your parents stay together, they fight and then realize, then you realize these things aren't fatal to marriage. If you're from a divorced family, you don't, you don't learn that message. And after fights, it seems like things are untenable. And so you bounce. What happens in one generation tends to repeat itself in the next. Now, hear me. I want to clarify I'm not saying that whoever raised you, whether a parent or a guardian of whoever it was, that the way they raised you was terrible and that everything they said was wrong. And I'm not telling you to throw everything out you learned from them. That's not what I'm saying at all. 
What I am saying is that there are serious negative tendencies and thought processes that we learned as kids that need to be unlearned in order to grow and to be more spiritually formed as a follower of Jesus. Even if in this room you didn't experience a traumatic childhood and you consider yourself to have a, lived a pretty normal life, like you had a good school, your parents went to church, there was no divorce, there is still a shadow side to your parents. They're still flawed. If we refuse to reflect on our past and give our entire self to Jesus, we'll be, as Pete says in his book, a mile wide but just an inch deep with God. Meaning we'll do all the Christian things, like go to Chi Alpha, go to small group, read scripture, be a part of the community, but we'll settle for a constricted Christianity and we'll be stuck spiritually and emotionally. We must uncover and reflect on the past. So I can illustrate this with something that I uncovered on my past, and this is recent. So it's not something that I did two years ago, this is recently. So a few months ago, the Chi Alpha team got together for our annual staff retreat, which is essentially just a time for us to spend together, get to dream about the future, and things like that. So during one of the sessions, we had time to encourage each other, tell us, like, tell each other strengths and what we really enjoy about that person. And I remember one specific thing about that night. One of our amazing interns, Kaziah, she was encouraging me, she was telling me all these great things. And at the very end of what she was saying, she said this one line that stuck out with me. She said, you are just, you are more than your knowledge. You are more than your knowledge. If you don't know much about me, I love gaining new knowledge. I will go on YouTube and watch random do-it-yourself videos that have nothing to do with me. I live in an apartment, I don't own a home, but I love to watch how they build homes. I don't know why. I like watching cars being fixed and all these different things. It's because I'm genuinely interested in how they work. I mean, a huge part of what I do, my job as, as uh, an internship director is teach theology and help the interns grow in, their, uh, in theology. For whatever reason, though, what she said stuck with me. I couldn't get it out of my head. It was like one of those bad songs that just keeps replaying and replaying and replaying. So later on in the week, I began to pray about it. I, I really wanted to see what God was trying to speak to me. And then everything clicked. It was exactly like what happened to Benson. It was one of those things where just, boom, it made sense. So keep in mind when I say this, this was before my family started following Jesus. And to give you even better perspective, when I was in late elementary school, my dad wasn't even 30. So my parents had me when I was, when they were, my mom was 15, my dad was 16. So they were kids, essentially. And this is, again, before they started following Jesus. I love my dad dearly, so hear that. Our relationship is strong. I love my parents dearly. My dad was a pretty strict dad growing up, and he was always, always on top of my grades and my performance. And then I began to notice, as I was reflecting on this, that there was one thing that my dad celebrated above everything else. And it was my intelligence and my performance. He was proud of me when I got A's and B's. He would often reward me by giving me money, by buying me new video games or consoles or whatever it was. He was ecstatic when I gave him the letter from the school that said I was invited to join the Talented and Gifted program. He was excited that I joined the band and learned a new instrument. I began to realize all my dad really ever complimented was how smart I was. That's all he ever told me. So what did I do? I idolized intellect. 
it became everything to me. It was honestly the only way, or so I thought, that I could prove myself or earn respect from others. I found myself desperately needing other people to tell me how smart I was. And if anybody in the room was considered to be just as smart or even smarter than I was, I became insanely jealous and I became critical of them and myself. In my head, knowledge was the most important thing about life and myself. And in my walk with Jesus, I cared more about getting knowledge about Jesus and learning about theology rather than I cared about having a thriving personal relationship with him. Over the years, I became incredibly prideful and conceited, believing that I knew more than most people in the room. Building relationships was difficult for me, so they were second nature. I didn't really care about them. My intellect became my identity. God then began to show me the unhealthy narrative of my life and began nudging me towards this life-changing truth. As I reflected more and more, I realized that God was trying to say something to me. I don't want just your brain. I want your heart. I don't want you to just know about me. I want you to know me. You are not just an intellectual. You are my son. I've called you to be a pastor, not a theologian. Hear me on this. My dad wasn't intentionally trying to make me put my identity in my intellect. That's the key thing you have to understand, is that your parents didn't mean to do the things they did to you. But yet, through this process, through what he told me and what he failed to tell me, it changed how I viewed myself and how I related to God. Believe me, this process is not fun. I did not enjoy looking back at those memories and saying, wow, my dad really only cared about how smart I was. That's a really fun time. It can be hard to relive painful memories or admit difficult things about yourself that you don't want to, but it's worth it. And here's the good thing. The beauty is that you're not stuck where you're at. Your past is not too broken. You can heal from your wounds. There is a future for you, and God wants to use your exact past to not only bring you closer to himself, but also to change the world for his kingdom. He wants to use you, exactly who you are. Not where you can erase the past and move on. No, he wants to use your past. So this is a lot of information. How can we practically do this? All of this is great in theory as we reflect and we learn more about our past. But if we're not actively doing anything about it, if we're not changing it, then it's just great information and that's all it is. We have to let God come into these deepest parts of who we are in our past, the things that we don't want to talk about, and let him change us. So where do we start? An important thing is to identify and recognize unhealthy patterns or thought processes that are in our lives. One helpful tool to go through is what's called the unbiblical family commandments. Another way to describe them is the scripts or narratives of your family. These are just the standards or the norms that were implied directly or indirectly. They were enforced and they were deeply embedded in your formation. These were the rules that your family abided by. And to break them meant shame, disapproval, tension, whatever it is. They're called unbiblical family commandments because they're often not backed up by scripture and they're not what Jesus wants for your life. But sometimes they're treated as equal, in some cases more authoritative than scripture. For example, think about the rules 
your family had for communication. A few questions to think through. Were you able to voice your opinion as a child or were you seen but not heard? Was family communication full of screaming and yelling or was it quiet and civil? Was it marked by abuse and neglect? Were you able to get the last word in? Were there topics that you couldn't talk about? Were family struggles shared openly? Was it something that was brought up at the dinner table? Were praises expressed or complaints? And again, these scripts are not just for people who don't come to the church. We can still hold on to these old scripts even as we meet Jesus and even write new ones. For my own life, my family has been Christians for about half of my life, so I've seen my parents on both sides. They have come, again, they've come a long way since they met Jesus. They've grown, they've got new experiences, but they still had a shadow side. In my family, following Jesus was more about not doing the bad things and making sure that you fulfill the religious obligations. There was a huge emphasis on our behaviors, what we watched, what we listened to, not swearing, showing respect, all the different things. So this is how I understood Jesus. Even if my heart was in a terrible place, even if I had bitterness and anger stored up in my heart, it was okay. As long as I wasn't drinking alcohol, as long as I wasn't doing drugs, as long as I wasn't listening to bad music. And those are just small examples from my life, but Pete has quite a few of his own, and they'll throw them up there. Think through those. I just want to highlight a few of them. Money is the best source of security. These are just things that maybe your family did in their lives. Sex is not to be spoken about openly. Sarcasm is an acceptable way to release anger. You owe your parents for all that they've done for you. Do not marry a person of another race or culture. Success is making lots of money. You are not allowed to have feelings. Certain feelings are not to be expressed. What was the script in your family? What things dictated your life? What do you know about? Identifying these unhealthy patterns in your life is a crucial step but we have to do more than just know what's wrong. We have to let go of these things that are in our lives. We have to crucify them, meaning we have to choose Jesus no matter how hard it is. Because the reality is that you're gonna carry those. They're in you right now. You need to choose to crucify them. So what does this look like? It looks like having honest conversations with the people around you. Having people in, around you who will hold you accountable. You'll need to go against the grain of what you've known your entire life. It will be painful. It will be hard. And things are going to get uncomfortable. But you need the people in your life to tell you, hey, it's, it's okay. Jesus is still with you. On top of this, you want to make sure that you can saturate your life with truth and scripture these lies are swirling around in your head and in your spirit. You need to saturate them with truth. You need to break down the lie and say, no, that's not actually what Jesus wants for my life. This is actually what he wants. Have people also ask you how you've been doing. For example, 
Let's say one of the first ones. If you struggle with using money as security for your life, start by giving away money to uh, organizations like Feed One. And any time that you find yourself feeling anxious and worried about that you might not have enough money, say, Jesus, would you please saturate it? Would you please remove this anxiety from me? Turn to Scripture and prayer. Have people ask you, hey, have you been giving? How are you feeling about money? Are you hoarding it? Are you holding on to it? What's going on? So as we close tonight, I don't want to end with this <laughs> dreary sense of, hey, your family might have jacked you up. <laughs> All right, see ya. No, 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 no. I, I, I want to let you know there's more. We've covered a lot of information tonight, and there's a lot to think about. It's going to be messy. It's going to be painful. It will be difficult. It will cause you to think about your family in a new light. But if we continue to be formed by Jesus and experience spiritual and emotional breakthroughs, we must leverage the past for a greater future. The beauty and brilliance of God is that he can turn any past, any hurt, any broken thing and use it for a greater purpose. In my life, although that my desire for knowledge and intellect came from a distorted understanding of reality, God has been able to use that still for his kingdom. It has helped me to do my job better. I'm able to teach these interns better because of that. Although it started as a distorted desire, he turned it into a blessing. So I, I want you to understand this and I want you to, to hear what I'm saying in this moment. The past is not your fault. The trauma, the abuse, the emotional absence, the manipulation, the pressure, the comparison, none of that was your fault. None of it was. You cannot change what happened yesterday. But you are responsible for today. And you will be responsible for tomorrow. In this season of life, for the, at least for the majority of you, you really don't have to worry about anyone besides yourself. Most of your actions only impact you, but that will not always be the case. So we can continue to not deal with the past. We can continue to not reflect. We can continue to just act like everything is okay and just go through life doing the same tasks, going through school, going through work. But the bad, those hidden things in your life, those false narratives, those false scripts, whatever unhealthy tendency you have in our life, it will repeat itself in the next generation. So maybe if you're in this place, maybe you didn't have the greatest mom or dad. Maybe you never saw what a healthy marriage was supposed to look like. Maybe all you've ever known was a dysfunctional family. But that doesn't mean that's all you have to know. That doesn't have to be the story that your children know. That doesn't have to be the narrative of your marriage. You have the power right in this season, right now, not five years, not 10 years from now, right now, to be the father, the mother, the brother, the sister, the husband, the wife you'd long for. 
You have the power in this season to say, no, alcoholism will not be part of my generation. It stops with me. My children will always see two healthy, loving parents together. To say that the chains of comparison and manipulation are broken with me, it stops with me. We can set the trajectory of our families here and now. We can let what happened in the past define who we are today and stay where it's comfortable, but we will limit what God wants to do. God wants to use you. And not some general like, oh yeah, God loves everyone he wants to know. He wants to use you specifically. Exactly with your mistakes, exactly with your shortcomings, exactly with all of your flaws, he wants to use you. I want you to imagine, and we're almost done here, I want you to imagine that you live in a beautiful rock cottage next to a wide, fast-flowing river. One day you find yourself needing to get across the river, but there isn't any bridge and there's no way to get across. Jesus then comes along and he places a stone right in front of you and he invites you to step. Every day, he brings a new stone. You can get across the river and he lays it right in front of the next one. And he invites you to take a step. And then one day, you don't see Jesus. He doesn't come and you're in the middle of the river. There's no more stones. So you start to get worried. You start to get anxious. But the reality is up to this point, you've never really thought about where the stones are coming from. It didn't even cross your mind. And then you look back to the shore and you realize that Jesus has systematically, meticulously been taking apart your cottage. That's where he's been getting the stones. This place where you've lived in all of your life where you felt secure, where you felt comfortable. He's been turning that into the stones. The stones that once made up the walls are now becoming stepping stones. You take a deep breath and you decide to calm your heart and just wait patiently. And when your heart is still enough, when the anxiety has subsided, Jesus comes, he puts down another step. And then he invites you to take another step. You realize you can trust him as he continues to take the stones from your past and uses them to lead you to a better future. So the question tonight, are you ready to take a step? You can certainly stay in your cottage. You can certainly stay in the place that you've known. You can go home tonight and not really think about anything I've said and move on with your life. Or you can take another step. You can trust that there's something greater. It's gonna cost you. You're gonna have to leave your cottage you're going to have to take that step of faith. You're going to have to stand in the middle of the river 
that at any point can easily overwhelm you. But Jesus is always there, ready to lay down another step for you to cross and inviting you to keep going forward. So tonight, we're gonna close by just taking a few moments to reflect. I don't know what your past is. I haven't lived in your life. Only you do. But the reality is that there's parts of you that you don't want to think about. Give those to Jesus. Give those to Jesus. So we're going to take some time. The band is going to play quietly. Take some time to reflect. If you need to journal, if you need to text someone, if you whatever it is that you need to do, do that in this moment. There's going to be people in the back that you can go to, talk to, pray about it. But I encourage you, please, 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 do not take this for granted. I promise you there's greater glory waiting on the other side. Jesus wants to do something so much more powerful in your life. Talk with your small group leader. Talk to a close friend. Whoever it is that you need to talk to, do it. You will uncover so much of yourself and it will be uncomfortable, but God will do something fantastic and amazing in your life. I fully believe it. So I'm just going to pray and then we're going to sit in silence and just meditate, wait on the Lord and see what he wants to speak to you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we thank you because you take the steps and you go before us to lay them down. God, I pray in this moment that you would help the students just reflect. God, would you bring out any parts of ourselves, the shadow side, God, that we don't want to see. Would you bring it to light? God, would you help us to look more and more like you? Jesus, would you take us from one level of glory to another as we look more and more like you, Jesus? We love you. I pray all this in your name.